This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story, internet auction site eBay has revised its bidding policy regarding all trading cards. Effective June 30th, bidders will no longer be allowed to retract bids without seller approval. A bidder will have to reach out to the seller via message on eBay in order to request their bid be canceled. The seller is allowed to reject the request to cancel a bid at their discretion, and if rejected, the bidder can still win the auction, whether they want to or not anymore. Per eBay's announcement about the revision, they consider a bid to be a binding contract. If an item that is won via auction is not paid for within five calendar days, the seller may cancel the order due to non-payment. Speculation for the motive behind this change places the blame heavily on an auction earlier this year featuring a BGS-10 Black Lotus. Those are rare, even for a Power 9 card. Exactly. The auction momentum built to over a million dollars, but suddenly plummeted to 300000 instead after some bids were pulled. That had to be frustrating. I can't imagine being told I'd get over a million dollars and then see less than a third of it. Though I'd be happy to see a third of a million dollars regardless in my checking account. Wouldn't we all? With the recent boom in trading card and collectible card game sales, eBay isn't the only seller revising their policies with trading cards. Big box stores like Walmart and Target are seeing branches restrict sales of trading card products to individual customers, even going so far as to lock them inside a case like electronic items. And if you think that sounds extreme, at least those branches are still selling them. Some locations have decided to stop stocking cards at all, leaving players in rural areas without any local way to buy sealed magic. It seems that each location's handling of the card craze is up to that location's management, as there isn't any direct consistency from location to location. I know that my local Walmart is exactly as stocked as they usually are, so I'd have to agree to that. In fun news for story fans, noted Vorthos aficionado and Vorthos cast host Jay Anelli has written a new book, Planes of the Multiverse. Releasing on July 20th, the book will cover the majority of Magic's major planes. This is the third book Anelli has written for Wizards, his first two being Legends and Rise of the Gate Watch, both of which are visual histories. Both of his previous books have received stellar reviews from many Vorthos fans, so I'm excited to see how this one turns out. Me too. I'm hoping we get a small blurb on Segovia, the tiny plane. Honestly, I'd like a clear explanation of what happened on Kamigawa myself. I own the books and have read them, and I'm still confused. I think everyone is still confused about those. It was definitely something. Yeah. Anyway, this week we return to News Brews. This time we feature the MTG Nexus stream host, Cryogen.
Well, Cryo, thanks so much for joining us this episode. Oh, thank you very, very much for having me on here. It's our pleasure. Uh, you've brought two decks with you this evening. Why don't you tell us about this first one you've got? Okay, so the first deck I have is um, one of my signature decks. It's Maelstrom Wanderer. So the deck started off, basically, when I started playing Commander and got into it, um, Plane Chase was out, and that's all my group did, was we played with Plane Chase. And I loved it. I loved the variance. I loved the high swing games. I loved the fact that you could do crazy first-turn plays. Um, I loved that you could have these really long games. It just created a new element of variance that uh, you didn't really get in Commander sometimes. So then... About a year later, Plane Chase 2012 came out, and we had Maelstrom Wanderer as a general. Um, I immediately fell in love with it because it was Cascade. And it helped, of course, that it came in the Plane Chase sets that I was buying anyway to get all these new planes. But Cascade is this great element that's kind of like playing Plane Chase. You flip over the top of your deck, and you don't know what you're going to get. So I decided that I was going to build a deck that simulated playing Plane Chase. What I had to do was I had to kind of get a set of rules. And I'm not going to go into too much depth, but basically the rules were I had to be able to cascade into pretty much everything, and I couldn't know what was going to happen because that's the way Plane Chase is. So I have no tutors, and that even includes uh, like rampant growth type tutors. I went really hardcore with this rule. And I have only one card that costs more than, that costs eight or more CMC. Um, so then the next thing I did was I divided the deck into effects, kind of to mimic the idea of, of going to a different plane. So I have uh, group hug effects like Braids, Conjure, Adept, and Rites of Flourishing. Right. Um, I, have bad, I have bad planes. So I've got cards like Sulfuric Vortex and Price of Progress. Uh, I have planes mm -hmm. that are just weird, like <laughs> Time Sifter. Um, I have Hive Mind in the deck. I have Possibility Storm in the deck. Um, and I've got some things that also, they both help and they hurt, like Overabundance. So Overabundance is a red and green enchantment that if you don't know what it does, it is like a mana flare, so you add an additional mana, but then you also take a, take a point of damage. And it's a global effect, so it hurts me just as much as it hurts everyone else. Um, then I have kind of my my mana, because like I said, I don't even do tutors in this deck. No tutors at all, no rampant growth. Mailchimp Wanderer costs eight mana, so I had to figure out how can I get extra mana, how can I ramp in a deck that doesn't want to ramp? So I'm running things like Carpet of Flowers, um, Treasure Nabber is, is a cute card that lets me steal the people's opponent, uh, artifacts. Um, into the wilds to just beginning of my upkeep, look at my top card and put it on the on the battlefield. It's a land. Recross the Paths is actually a really awesome card because it just reveals from the top of your library until you hit a land, and that card goes into play. But it also has Clash. So what Clash does is you reveal the top card of your library, and whoever has the higher CMC you get an effect. So if, if you win the clash with the higher CMC, then return the paths comes back to your hand and you get to do it all over again. And if you don't, then it just goes to your graveyard like normal. Time Sifter, like I said, was in the deck. So if you've ever played Plane Chase, 
the way it was meant to be played when you have 10 planes and each person has their own set of planar of uh, planes. One thing you do is you build your deck around the planes that you are running. So I kind of do that a little bit with the deck. Um, so like Time Sifter is just a crazy card and you don't always know what's going to happen, but I intentionally made the CMC a little bit higher just for this. So stuff like Recross the Paths helps because now I'm also, you know, more likely to win my, my clash. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much the different areas. Oh, I'm sorry. There is one other area of the deck that I do, and that's just mm-hmm. wacky things. I like interacting with people and I like interacting with my opponents. So I tried to make cards that turn into a little mini game. Cause that's the other thing about playing chases. Every turn, there's an extra decision you have to make. Do I want to spend mana doing my thing that my deck wants to do? Or do I want to spend mana rolling the plan or die? Because maybe I don't like where I am. Maybe I want to go somewhere else. So I have cards in the deck that also emulate that whole idea of playing a little mini slug game with your opponents. You know, cards like Factor Fiction, um, Manifold Insights, which reveals the top 10 cards of your library. And then each person gets to choose a card and you get to get those cards. Um, Covenant of Minds is a fun one. And reveal the top three cards for your library. Your opponent can choose to put those in their hand. And if they don't, then you get to draw five cards. So it's like, hey, do you want me to have these three cards? Or give me five cards we don't know about. Um, Combustible Gear Hulk is another great one like that because with my high CMC, like with Time Sifter, then you get to decide. Do you want me to have three cards or do you want to take a whole bunch of damage? The other thing you might be wondering is how does the deck actually win? And the answer to that is I'm not sure. <laughs> the obviously I want to win. Um, the The issue is that I just don't know how I'm going to win any given game because I never have a game plan. My game plan always changes turn by turn um, because it, whatever I have in my hand is what I'm stuck with. I have no idea what's going to happen, and sometimes I'm just randomly, you know, discarding my hand to try to find something better. Um, and at the any given moment, whatever the fun play is, is probably what I'm going to do, even if it doesn't make strategic sense. But I do have a couple ways to win. I've got, you know, Maelstrom Wanderer is a, is a pretty beefy general, so he builds in there with commander damage. Um, I have Molten Primordial to steal other people's stuff. You know, maybe I can get a lucky swing with your creatures and kill you that way. And then with all my wheels in the deck, um, Xerus the Writhing Storm makes me a lot of green snake creature tokens. So sometimes I get lucky that way. But like I said, if I do win, it's generally out of luck and not any sort of a plan that I've come by. If you win, it's usually because other people left you alive instead of you actually doing something to win is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, My opponents have to be willing to play this game with me. And I try to read the table. Um, You know, I'll, I'll, I'll sandbag uh, something like warp world. If it's not a good moment, Um, time, time sifter, I, most of the time, I'll just say, hey, I got time to serve my hand. What do you think? You know, let's let's group vote. Do we want this on the table or do we just want to get rid of it? Because um, I don't play that when someone's not prepared because I've had bad games when someone just gets locked out of the game from it. And it's not fun for anyone. You know, the goal of the deck is that I just want to have fun and I want everyone else to have fun. So if you're not having fun, I'm not having fun. <laughs> the, the other thing about this deck is like someone says, oh, Maelstrom Wanderer, because there's a pretty typical way to build that deck. Um, 
Mm. You know, it involves stuff like scroll rack, um, which I'm not doing. But people get a bad eye. You know, they get they get their backs up when you announce who you're playing. So I really have to lean on rule zero and say, look, this isn't this deck. Here's what this deck's going to do. Here's what I want to do. What do you think? You know, um, sometimes I just take my beatings because people see Maelstrom Wander and they get scared. And I accept that. But I do try to have that pregame talk, um, both to make sure that people want to have that kind of game. And also so that maybe you'll let me have a few turns to just demonstrate that I'm not trying to do that deck. Right. Okay. So if you had to pick what you would consider the spiciest or the, or the most prevalent spice of that deck, I'm going to guess you're going to say time sifter, but, but what would it be? It, it, it actually wouldn't be. Um, that card's fun. It's a, it's a fun chaos card, but having seen what it does, it's not a card that I play a whole lot just because if someone does have a very a low CMC deck at the table or, or something with a high land count, I don't want them to be locked out of the game. So you're just as likely to never see that card because I'm going to hold it in my hand the whole game than to actually right. see me cast it. Um, no, I think... So there's two cards that I think are just the spiciest cards of the deck. Um, the first one is Possibility Storm. Because that just exemplifies like the whole like that. If you had to say what is what is your deck about, give me just the the, the five second answer. I'd say it's possibility storm with a hundred cards. Okay. The hidden tech of the deck is actually going to be this stupid bulk bin rare from Dissension. It's mm-hmm. elemental resonance, two green and two colorless. It's an aura that enchants permanent. And at the beginning of my pre-combat main phase, I add mana equal to the Enchanted Permanence CMC to my mana pool. Um, And I chose this card because Maelstrom Wanderer costs 8 mana, if I haven't mentioned that yet. So just getting that boost from 4 mana to 8 mana is critical in this deck. Um, And of course, you can get greedy and you can try to stick it on the highest CMC card you can. But a lot of times the right play is just to stick it on you know, something that costs three or four, or even better yet, stick it on something that, that somebody else owns because they're not likely to blow up their own thing just to get rid of this card. So that's my hidden tech of the deck. It, it's it's the card that no one ever runs that just works really well for this deck. Okay. All right. And uh, what about the second deck you brought with you? All right. The second deck is a... Uh, more recent deck. I've had it for a few years now. It's Mathis Fiend Seeker. Um, I built this deck pretty much because there's this whole class of, uh, of archetypes um, called Judo, which is the idea where you use people's cards against them. And some people call it, you did this to yourself. I know Sheldon Menory famously has a, um, I think it's Ruhan deck that's that's the same idea so um i i wanted to try the same idea and just see what it's like doing kind of a politics judo style deck and i chose mathis because um mathis's ability puts a bounty counter on a creature and opponent controls and then when that creature dies all of that creature's opponents or i'm sorry all that yeah all those creatures opponents gets 
just draw a card and they can get a little bit of life. So it's definitely this political tool where it's like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of your stuff or more precisely, I'm going to encourage other people to get rid of your stuff. So I kind of took that same concept of let me build a deck that is political in nature that encourages people to attack elsewhere, but it doesn't lean too heavy into forcing anyone's hand. Um, just greatly encourages it. Um, so that's what I decided to go with. Now, like I was talking about with Maelstrom Wanderer, I did go into, the, into this with a couple of rules just because I, I find making rules makes my decks more fun, more enjoyable rather than just cookie cutter. Um, and it helps give me a little bit of focus. So sure. the really the only rule I went into with was I wanted to not be a threat. Um, and I guess that's kind of like, well, obviously no one wants to be a threat. <laughs> you always want to look like you're, you're second best until you win. Uh, but I really wanted to strive to not be a threat at the table. So I stayed away from um, expensive cards. Um, I didn't put dual lands in there. So like my mana base is pretty weak. I run filter lands and I run scry lands and check lands. Um, but like, yeah, the mana base is just, it, it could practically just be out of recon. Um, and you know, a couple cards have gotten more expensive over time, but, but really nothing is, is, uh, too expensive. Um, and I stayed away from staples. So like, instead of running sensei's divining top, um, I have dark steel pendant, which, you just you know, pay a mana, <laughs> tap it, and you get to scry one. Not nearly as good as top, but you see that, you're like, oh, I'm not worried about this card whatsoever. This guy isn't a threat. You know? And of course, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's kind of what I went into. Um, the, the way I approached this was to encourage people to not attack me. Um, so I have things like Ghostly Prison, obviously. Um, Sphere of Safety. No mercy, you know, hey, go ahead, swing at me, but your stuff's going to get destroyed. Um, one of the newer things that I added was Cunning Rhetoric, which when you attack me, I get to exile the top of your library, and I get to play your cards. Um, I run Farsight Mask, which is objectively a pretty bad card that no one ever <laughs> runs. But, you know, I run it because, like, okay, if you attack me, I get to draw cards. Um, you know... Um, then I have some things that kind of synergize with, uh, Mathis. Uh, I have tainted remedy, which would make you lose life instead of gaining life. Um, right. that pairs well nicely with the bounty counters. So, um, yeah, you still get your car, but now you're not gaining life. Um, Colrath Knight is actually a very powerful card in this deck. Um, Colrath Knight is a, from Shadowmore and... Creatures your opponents control with counters on them can't attack or block. Uh, there's a lot of counters that get thrown around, and this card does some serious work and can shut down a battlefield pretty quickly. <laughs> um, I love Goad. It's probably my favorite mechanic that they've ever come out with. Um, so I have uh, Agitator Ant, which mm -hmm. is that little mini game that I loved with Maelstrom Wanderer. I have to, I tend to love mini games and just involving the rest of the table in my turn. Right. Uh, so anyway, Agitator Amp lets each player put a 
put some plus one counters on one of their creatures. And if they do, then those creatures get goaded. Uh, Kador Doom Scourge is a card that, that came out in uh, Kaldheim, and it pretty much ETBs to goad all their stuff. Um, right. So, yeah, you know, like, hey, make you attack, but don't attack me. Uh, I have a bunch of kind of gotcha cards in the deck. Um, I've got your your fogs, like Ink Shield is a new one. Self Squire, kind of the same same mentality. I fog you, and then and that doesn't have to be. I guess it is me, uh, but I you know I fog you, and then next turn I've got this pretty big creature to to swing with. Uh, Teferi's protection, when you just kind of have to get out of there for for the turn. Uh, Batwing right. Brune is another great fog that can deal some damage as well. Uh, Deflecting Palm is in the deck, of course. Uh, I have the Charms, Boros and Rakdos Charm, which okay. uh, I've actually killed someone with Boros Charm uh, just because they were low enough and I could get that last four points. Uh, but Rakdos Charm is a great utility card because I can nuke a graveyard if I have to or get rid of an artifact. But if you're playing a tokens deck... Um, this thing can do some serious damage to you. And you can el- get eliminated that way. True. Um, then, the other way I like to get rid of people is just kind of them not realizing it. So, probably the dirtiest card in this deck is Hatred. Okay. And it's great because Mathis has Menace, so if I can keep my life total up, then I can sweet you and you know, throw hatred in there and kill you with some commander damage that you weren't expecting. Okay, so for those who might not be familiar with it, what does hatred do? Sure, hatred is a is a it's an instant, and as an additional cost, I pay X life and target creature gets plus X plus zero until end of turn. So you could be swinging at player C, and I'm just over here minding my own business, and they don't block, and I could just be like, you know what? I'm going to throw some extra damage on you and I'm going to actually kill you with that. Uh, Because that's kind of what you have to do with this deck is since you don't have a whole lot of ways of of getting in there with damage, you can kind of just throw someone off their guard and and give another player the boost they need to eliminate a third player. Um, Because you're never going to win when it's three on one. The goal of the deck is to get the rest of the table to kill each other and make it one-on-one. And then when it's one-on-one, that's when you can kind of save the best for last and, and right. um, kill that one remaining player. Uh, and I think the classic example of, of that kind of card is Insurrection, where you can just take it control of all the creatures and swing them back. And at the very least, they're going to eliminate one player Hopefully you can eliminate two or maybe even all three. Hmm. All right. Um, well, that just about wraps it up for this segment. Um, do you have anywhere you would like any listeners to be able to find you like Twitter uh, or the Twitch that you stream with anything like that? Oh God, no, I don't want people to find me. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have, uh, I do have a Twitter account. I post on there. Uh, couple hundred times a day. Um, it's cryogen underscore MTG. So C-R-Y-O-G-E-N. Um, I'm also on the forums, of course, and can, re- 
can sometimes be found there. Um, all my decks are listed. I'm trying to get them up to date because one thing I'm not very good at is I'm pretty good at putting a deck in online. I'm not right. good at going back and updating it. So I've been trying to get better at doing that at updating my decks on both the forums as well as on Scryfall. And those are the uh, uh, MTG Nexus yeah, forums, the... right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, but yeah, Twitter is the easiest way to get hold of me. All right. Thank you so much. And I'm going to hit stop now. Cryo's deck lists can be found linked in the show notes. The Strixhaven Championship was held June 4th through 6th, and ISO will tell us all about it right after this break. Saturday, June 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern. The MTG Nexus Twitch Arena welcomes three new guests. Cryogen will go head to head to head with Benny Smith, Anthony Elongi, and Dana Roach. It's BDH. The B stands for Boomer. Come see these titans of long time playing. Spell sling their favorite old spells. It's sure to be a good time. Again, 7 Eastern Time, June 12th. Be there or don't. Welcome back to WNXS News. The Strixhaven Championship was full of great matches and even greater players. So let's go to ISO to hear more. ISO? Thanks, Kit. The weekend was jam-packed with spell slinging, so we'll jump right into it. The Strixhaven Championship was a mixture of historic and standard. We started off both Friday and Saturday with historic, leading into standard for the second half of each day and a cut to the top eight for Sunday. With Thassa's Oracle now banned, the metagame for Historic was pretty diverse, with Is It Phoenix leading the field at 35%. The next three most popular were Jeskai Turns, Jeskai Control, and Jund Food. Standard's breakdown was a bit more diverse, with Sultai Ultimatum at only 21% of the field, followed closely by Is It Dragons. What were some fan favorites like Autumn Burchette and Seth Manfield playing? Well, Autumn was throwing down Azorius Blink for Standard and 5-color Niv-Mizzet for Historic, whereas Seth was running Izzet Dragons for Standard and Jeskai Control for Historic. Brian Branduin and World Champion PVDDR both had Sultai Ultimatum for Standard, with Brian running Demir Pact and Paolo playing Jeskai Turns for Historic. However, on Day 3, only 8 of the starting 250 players could fight for the top prize. Those 8 players were John Girado, David Inglis, Matty Quisma, Raphael Levy, Seth Manfield, Logan Nettles, Sam Party, and Maz Sperling. Who ended up taking home the gold and the prize money? After both the upper and lower brackets finished up, the two finalists were Sam Party and John Girardeau. In a mirror match with Jeskai Turns decks, both had impressive tournament records and had fought remarkably well, but the final winner was Sam Party. This was Sam's third top finish and the first for him since Hour of Devastation. Congrats to him on a well-deserved win, Jenk. Thanks, Isa. Magic Online caught some attention this week for a couple of reasons, one of which was not such a good thing. An event grinder and streamer going by Yama Killer 
had encountered a fairly high amount of bugs during their usage of the program. Which isn't exactly unheard of. Very true. Typically, when someone reports a bug that causes them to lose an event or a game, Magic Online offers some sort of reimbursement for their entry. Yamakiller apparently found too many bugs and reported them, as Magic Online told him he would no longer be receiving any reimbursements for these scenarios. They even seemed to sneak in a burn, telling Yamakiller that the reimbursements shouldn't be used as a crutch if you are consistently unable to operate the program. I'm almost positive they could have phrased that better. Yeah, that is not really elegant phrasing there. Most of the comment reactions were in Yamakiller's favor, scolding the Magic Online team for punishing a grinder who found issues with their system. Other reactions noted this raised concerns over people who abused the refund system by intentionally playing bugged interactions, which, for the record, is not what we're saying happened to Yamakiller at all. Despite Yamakiller's tweet about this situation having over a thousand likes and over 250 retweets, as of yet, Magic Online has made no response to the situation. The second reason for the program getting extra attention involves Phyrexians. Oh god, they're everywhere! L- little strong reaction there. Um, but in this case, yes, actually. Players began to notice any creatures who feasibly could have the Phyrexian subtype have now had it ratted onto them. These include such cards as the original Praetors, Greven Ilvek, Xantia Sleeper Agent, and many, many more. The news first broke on June 3rd, and noted content creator Saffron Olive took the time to try to compile a full list for anyone who wanted to see it. I saw that tweet. When I said many, many more, I understated it. Yeah, yeah, you did. With the Modern Horizons 2 pre-release on the, well, Horizon, Diz is here to give us a quick rundown of the mechanics. Diz? Thank you, Jake. There's a lot going on in this set, so let's not build any suspense and talk first about suspend. This is a mechanic that allows you to exile a spell from your hand for a typically smaller upfront cost and have it cast on a future turn. Speaking of alternate casting methods, Madness is back to let you cast a spell you're discarding. Even the legendary mechanic Storm is finally making a return in a non-commander product, letting players do the same thing over and over in new and exciting ways. Finally! My Squirrel Storm deck can come together! You bet it can, especially with Chatterstorm, the sorcerer for one in a green to give you a squirrel token and storm. We have type cycling such as plane cycling and wizard cycling. To ramp or fuel tribal strategies and converge comes back to give a payoff for our multicolor strategies. Last but not least on the mechanics, we have flashback making a return to booster packs. The pre-release begins June 11th and will go for a full week including a spell table event June 11th to 13th and the official release date is June 18th. Since many areas will have the option to play in store for this pre-release, we here at WNXS News encourage players to be safe and respect store and local guidelines. Jink. Thanks, Diz. The Magic art community got a treat when Richard Kane Ferguson was announced as the artist for many of the Modern Horizons 2 art pieces, especially those relating to Deck and Blackblade story cards. Ferguson is a wildly popular artist for the game, having done art for cards as far back as Mirage, and having also done the original Dakon Blackblade artwork. 
His return as an artist was clearly well-received, as his original artwork for Dakon Shadow's Lair sold for over $31,000. Not quite as much as that original Black Lotus we mentioned, but definitely a notable amount. That's for sure. It shows how much the community still loves his artwork and is a well-deserved accolade. Our final story, June is Pride Month! Celebrating those in the LGBTQ plus community. The magic community has stepped forward to show its support in more than one place. For starters, the MTG Pro Shop is selling Pride Flag shirts with several community flags. All proceeds from the sales at the Pro Shop for this month will go towards the Lambert House, a Seattle community center for LGBTQ youth. There will also be a charity stream on June 12th to raise money for the Trevor Project, featuring prize giveaways throughout the stream. It will feature Hobbs Q, Chain Commander, Mr. Bevers, and our very own Jank. We're all planning to have terrible wrestling personas, so it's sure to be a good time and for a good cause. It'll be hosted on twitch.tv slash Mr. Bevers at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll make sure we put a link in the description. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.